the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Love Never Fails Radio. Love Never Fails. Inviting you to join in the fight for love. There are millions of people who are trapped in modern day slavery. Take a stand to do something against this injustice. Join the fight against human trafficking. If you truly love, set the captives. Each week, this program sheds light on the needs of vulnerable people in our community who are impacted by human trafficking, homelessness, addiction, and abuse, and celebrates the work of those who are meeting them right where they are and expressing to them that they are precious, valued, and loved. Our goal is to see this radio audience move to compassion demonstrated in acts of service, generosity, and gifts of time. Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, founder and executive director of Love Never Fails, Vanessa Russell. And welcome to Love Never Fails Radio. You are in for such a treat today. Uh, we have a, a, a dear sister that is actually joining me remotely uh, to talk about some amazing work that she is doing, um, uh, you know, halfway across the country. And um, and I just love the way that the Lord has is bringing me together with so many sisters that have a similar story, that are have a similar heart, that are getting after uh, loving people and empowering um, people in our community communities. And so I, I want to introduce you to Miss Kemia Motley. Uh, Kemia, just to tell you a little bit of, about Kemia, Kemia is an author. She is a public speaker. She is an award-winning um, uh, woman, uh, entrepreneur, professional, and educator. And I'll tell you a little bit about her, um, you know, what her bio is quite extensive. But before I do, let's just welcome Kemia to, this, to the show. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So glad to have you on. And, and, uh, you know, just, just for the listening audience, I had the, uh, the great pleasure to meet Kimia in New York. Um, yeah. when, um, I, I flew out there sort of, um, uh, in a flurry, I, I had, I don't know if you had a similar experience when you, so, so Kimia was, uh, actually selected as Investigation Discovery Channel's Everyday Hero for the month of November in 2016. Woohoo! Yeah! Congratulations! And, um, I don't know what your experience was like, but, um, I was also selected as the Investigation Discovery Channel Everyday Hero Award for 2017. And, um, I was notified, I think it was two weeks before I was awarded. And I, I thought I was being punked. Did you think that, Kimia? Yes, I did. I thought yes, I was I being punked. I was like, no, you're kidding, right? And they're like, no, 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 you really, we were going to fly you out to New York, you and your husband, and we're going to celebrate you and the work you're doing with Love Never Fails. So, um, and, uh, and I, I, People Magazine was also involved. I was just like, just so humbled and, um, so grateful. And then I got to meet you and so many other powerful women that had been, um, awarded prior. And I just felt even more honored, um, to be counted amongst such 
such a powerful group. Um, did you, you know, when you came out and, and were awarded, um, did you have a similar experience? Well, I was quite shocked because, like I said, I I won in November. And, okay, so with this particular award, they have monthly winners, and then they have one overall yearly winner. So I was a monthly winner, whereas you were the yearly winner. So because it was a whole year prior, I had no idea that they were going to contact me and say, come out. Come you know, back, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that was that was really awesome. But I assume that happened because I was the winner in November and they do the celebration like right at the beginning of November. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why I got bumped to the next year. It was really cool. My understanding is that they're about community. Um, and so for me, yes, it was exciting to be, you know, standing there with celebrities and walk the red carpet and all of that. But um, what was so, I just felt like I had been um, pulled into a legacy um, because yeah. we get to come back and continue to share. It's not like a one-day event where you're like fancy for the day, right? You you actually exactly. get to be a part of a community and continue to share your progress. And And I know over this last year, you have made a tremendous amount of progress and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you in the flesh um, come this year in November again. But you, you've, you've done, you launched your book, um, which we're going to talk about, but I want to go back a little bit. I want to, before we jump into your book and, I want to talk a little bit about Kimia and, you know, your your background and, and some things that have happened along the way that have shaped who you are today. So you are a, an educator with over 20 years of teaching experience in Georgia's public school and yes. system, right? Okay. And and you have your, your bachelor's of science in, in, in college of, uh, with the College of Family and Consumer Sciences and College of Education from the University of Georgia, master's in counseling psychology from the University of Missouri. Uh, you have, you know, you have been, you have received awards such as the Teacher uh, of the Year uh, at Rosebud Elementary. Amazing. Um, I want to talk a lot. I want to talk a little bit about third grade because um, I know that's a pivotal okay. grade for us um, as we think about human trafficking, as we think about abuse, as we think about completing high school. I know third grade is is a is a is a, is a grade marker. I want to talk about that. But just back to you, and then and then and something happened in two thousand. 2011 to you, um, you and your daughter. Tell us about what happened. Well, going back before 2011, in 2007, I married what I thought to be uh, Prince Charming, the love of my life. And he gave me everything that I thought I wanted in a man. The moment that we got married, though, his mask came off and he began to show me um, his true side. He was very abusive. Um, he was physically abusive at first. And then when he noticed that he would get into trouble because I called the police, I actually took out a protective order at one point um, when he became physically abusive. Then when he realized that, okay, she's going to call the police on me, he turned to emotional and verbal abuse. So, Up until 2010, so I got married in 2007, the first time he hit me was within a week of our anniversary in 2008, Mm -hmm. and then um, he didn't hit anymore until 2010, at which point he got into a bad fight with my teenage son, Mm -hmm. 
and he was removed from the house. Okay. So at that point, whenever I tried to tell him that I didn't want to be with him anymore, his um, verbal abuse would escalate and I would back off, you know, thinking, well, maybe if I ease my way out of this relationship, then um, things will get better. And that doesn't work. That never worked. Yeah. When I um, when I told him in July of 2011 that, okay, that's it. I'm tired of being afraid of you. I want to go ahead and move forward to get a divorce because you're not going to get any help. And I'm just ready to go on with my life. Well, that's the number one thing you shouldn't do when you're an abused woman. You don't tell the, the man that you want to leave or get a divorce. You prepare a plan and you go. But I didn't know that. So on September 20th, 2011, as I was driving my daughter to daycare, he met me outside of her daycare center. He, um, as I was exiting the car, he shot me multiple times. Wow. He shot me in my face. As I was trying to run away from him, he shot me in the side of my neck. I then, I fell down to the ground and I began shouting, no, no, no. He shot me in the back of my head. So at that okay. point, I kind of, I felt him walk away from me. I couldn't see him, but I could feel him walk away. And I, you know, I'm looking for my daughter, like, where is she? Mm. Because um, ironically, when she exited the car, she had on one shoe. She had one shoe on, one shoe off, and I was fussing, you know, at her as we do when we're rushing in the morning. And I told her, I said, go ahead and put your shoe on. Um, so I knew that I sent her to sit on the ramp to put her shoe on before she walked into the building. So as I'm looking for her after being shot three times, I noticed she's still sitting on that ramp, but I saw her head drop. But Vanessa, I just assumed that her head dropped because she didn't want to see what was going on with me. Okay. Mm. Well, he walked back over to me right after that point. He shot me one final time in my back. He got into the car, which was his mom's stolen vehicle. He had a truck, but he wanted to camouflage himself. So he stole his mother's car to do this uh, horrible deed. But he drove off. And surprisingly, you know, I'm still awake. I'm still alert at this point. I jumped up. I ran over to my daughter because, you know, we're in mommy mode. And all I'm thinking is I want to reassure her that I'm okay. So when I got over there, I said, mommy's okay. Look. And then I saw that he shot her as well. One time in the head. My God. Now, uh, I could go on with that story, but the bottom line is we both lived by God's grace. Yes, thank you, Lord. Yes. My God. um, It's because of that situation I started my organization, Haven of Light International, and also because of that that I wrote this book, Born of Violence, because, Vanessa, I never want another family to go through what we went through. That's right. And if I can do, you know, one thing to prevent it, that's what I want to do. Well, amen to that. And I am so grateful you're on to share your story so that those that are listening can share with their family members 
and we can um, use these experiences, which are so horrific, to bring light into dark places and to save lives. So we're going to take a break. Um, if you want to get involved in um, this movement for love, movement for for um, safety, movement for um, for our children and for families, um, we urge you to give us a call at 844-249-2698. We'll be right back, and thank you for listening to Love Never Fails Radio. For more information on this program, visit loveneverfailsus.com. That's loveneverfailsus.com. We'll be right back with more right after these messages. Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We are in the studio today with Miss Kimia Motley, who is an author, a speaker, an advocate, an educator, um, and just a wonderful woman of God and mother. Um, I just am so grateful to um, uh, hear part of your story. And as we were discussing in the break, um, you were saying that sometimes when you tell this story, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. You feel like you're talking about somebody else. Tell us more about that. Well, I think because I go around, especially here in the state of Georgia, and I share my story so much, it almost feels like I'm talking about someone else. Um, but I think that that has occurred because I do talk about it so much. You know, as a teacher, I, I learned early that Whoever's doing all the talking is doing all the learning. So, you know, Mm -hmm. teachers that lecture a lot, the students aren't learning much because they're not saying much. But um, even in therapy, when you're divulging what's going on and you're talking about it, it is very therapeutic and you get to a point of healing. Now, are there certain things about this situation that still um, bother me or hurt me? Of course. Yeah. But that particular segment I'm able to tell and um and it doesn't bother me as much you yeah. know as others yeah, I've had a similar experience when I tell my story, you know, about child child abuse I endured and things that I experienced as in my childhood. I um, you know, I I feel that it's quite therapeutic, but yet there are times when I think about like I I for me when I think about people who knew that I was hurting and didn't say anything. Yeah. Those um, those scenarios do create some sadness for me still. Um, and maybe yeah. those are just unexplored areas that still need healing, you know. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, the fact that you're willing to share your story uh, in written format and verbally, you know, is such a gift to the community. And um, and it's it's really uh, you know, for those who have experienced domestic violence, um, or know someone who is, um, I just want, I want us to just understand the, 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 the greatness, right? And the value of this gift that you're providing here. And that it's so, it has purpose, right? And I love that you, yes. you say, and you know, your book title, you talk about, um, triumph over tragedy, living out God's purpose. You are fulfilling yes. God's purpose. And, you know, if, if I, if I might say, you know, God had a plan and a purpose for your life and it was to prosper you and not to harm you. And, yes. and so tell us about, you know, you, you had this tragic situation occur. I can't even imagine. I have a 10 year old daughter. 
seeing my daughter, you know, slumped over with a bullet in her head. I mean, come on. That's just yes. that that part. I mean, I shoot me up all you want, but, you know, shoot my child. My God. Yes. That so. So what what was going through your mind at that time? Immediately, you go into mommy mode, protection mode. I wasn't thinking about myself anymore. Um, I get asked this question a lot, and I remember the moment that I thought of myself, but it was only for a moment. Like, when he shot me in my neck, I remember reaching there and thinking, I'm going to die, you know. And I started thinking, well, I can't <laughs> because I have a son. My son was 16 at the time, and I have a daughter, and who was going to take care of them? So I immediately thought, well I, well, I can't die, you know, in the midst of this going on. You literally see your whole life flash before you in an instant. So when I saw that she was shot, I immediately I no longer thought of myself. All I thought was I need to do something to save this child. And then I automatically started thinking, well, if he's done this to her, what would he try to do to my son? Right. Because he had an awesome. Now, the man that I married was not their father. Okay. Mm -hmm. But my daughter told everyone that he was her dad. They had an awesome relationship. So, I mean, they had tea parties and they went horseback riding and they rode four-wheelers together. He was a contractor, so if he had a hammer, she had one. If he had a toolbox, she had one. So, mm. imagine that's what's going through my head, like, oh my goodness, if he did this to her, mm. what would he do to my son? Who were like, they were like oil and water. Right. Okay? So, by the time the ambulance and the sheriff arrived, I immediately started barking orders. <laughs> I said, somebody needs to get someone to my address. And I started telling them what my address was. I need my son to be safe. So that's all I was thinking about. And this is while you had to... five bullets in you. You were bleeding. Yes. Well, Yes, yes, ma'am. I had four. Um, now, that's a, that's a big question. I always say, I don't know if I was shot five times. There is still a bullet under my collarbone to this day, and I don't know where that one came from. Mm. So I remember four shots, but there is one that's still there. And I was not, to my knowledge, I was not shot in the chest. So wow. even while the bullets were in, I was just thinking about them. My God. Well, <clears throat> I am just, um, wow, again, just so honored that the Lord preserved your life and your daughter's life as you yeah. walked around with six, five bullets in you and one in her in places yeah. that would normally take you out. And, yes, and, and again, it was for for purpose, not for not, but for, for a reason, because there are people that are listening today that are thinking it's not that bad. And I and I can tell you as a survivor of domestic violence myself, uh, you rationalize and you justify the behavior, you know, um, because, as you said earlier, uh, because it's not um he wasn't hitting you anymore. You say, oh, well, it, you know, it's not that bad. You know, he, he loves my daughter. He takes her on these trips. He, he teaches her all these things. And, you know, and he's not getting along with my son. But, you know, I had the same situation in that I had a small daughter um, who was who was my ex-husband's daughter, as well as an, an older son who was not. 
and um, and there was a dynamic that was horrible between him and the older son. And I thought, oh, it's just a combination of you know he you know he had his personal problems, the ex husband, and then the the son had some things going on too, right? Being a teenager and stuff, being rebellious, and you start yeah. trying to justify that the fights that are happening between them that oh, it's uh-huh. just you know two men just button heads and. And, you know, that's, you know, it's un, it's not ideal, but I'm going to try to push it through because, look, she's he's so good to the to the, you know, the the younger one. Um, yes. Right. Did you do that? Exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the things that I talk about in the book, because I said that's the one thing that I feel regret about now, because there was something in my spirit that just didn't feel right. You know, this doesn't feel right to me. And I would even ask other family members or friends that had boys, because I grew up, uh, I have a sister, There's, we don't have a brother, so I don't know, or I felt like I didn't know how you should discipline a boy. So adding on the fact that he's a teenager, he is rebellious, he also has uh, autism, he has Asperger's syndrome, mm. which magnifies that stubbornness. You know, he's super smart, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. he's a genius, but he could be super stubborn. You know, at the same time, add that to teenage hormones and you have this volatile mix right. that did not go well with someone who would not have patience with him. You right. Know. And and that even so. makes it gives you more point of a justification because you feel like, you know what, this boy is frustrating me, too. I love him to death, but he's frustrating me. So the fact that, you know, the husband is um, wilding out and, you know, and, and yelling and cussing and carrying on, you're like, well, if this wasn't my own flesh and blood. Right. I uh, yes. I would I would be frustrated, too. So you rationalize and justify this this behavior um, that is yes. quite frankly unacceptable but you know you just you just it, it, it makes it easier to justify when you know that you're dealing with a teenage child that is having problems you know that, that anybody would say is 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 a handful you know so yeah but 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 all the while that is uh, you know the, this abusive behavior is manifesting in so many different areas but because you're dealing with a child that has special needs and believe me I know this very clearly um, we have a lot more in common than we realize uh, my son yeah. also had a diagnosis and so you begin to uh, ignore the signs because you're, you're overwhelmed with the diagnosis mm-hmm. and with mm-hmm. the behaviors and you're trying to save your kids and you're trying to keep some semblance of peace for the younger one. And, and it's hard. And were you in church at this time? I was. Now, up until 2010, now my pastor would always put us on this huge fast at the beginning of the year. And ironically, in 2010, my whole fast was centered around my family. I wanted my husband to stop being um, verbally and emotionally abusive and to get along with my son. I just wanted everything to be good, you know, and the moment the fast was over, he that's when he jumped on my son and beat him. Um, kicking him, punching him. And at that point, I left church alone entirely. I said, that's it. (laughs) You know, I am not praying anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not fasting anymore. Lord, this is not what I asked for. Okay. Right? So that is one of the reasons why I love God so much now, because I didn't deserve to be saved. 
my attitude was horrible by the time the shooting came along. You know, and it's interesting when you get into trouble, the first person you call on is the Lord. Help me, help me, you know. Well, and I want to talk a little bit about that. We're going to take a break and we're going to come right back. But I want to talk some about the the cross section of the church and this issue of domestic violence and um, and faith. Right. Because I think a lot of people come to the the place that you came to. And it's not because they're such a bad person, but it's it's almost because uh, there's there's something else going on there. So we'll come right back. We'll talk about this in some more detail. And thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio. To join in the fight for love, visit loveneverfailsus.com. Don't go away. Love Never Fails Radio will return right after these messages from our sponsors. Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We are in the studio with Miss Kimya Motley, who is an author, educator, advocate, mother, um, just a wonderful leader in our community. And uh, and she is talking about her book, Born of Violence, her experience having been shot um, remembering four times, but probably five bullets that um, went through her body and uh, her own child who was shot, um, which led up to her creating her nonprofit uh, and um, and and uh, writing her book. Uh, your book was released in November of 2017 uh, and your and your and your nonprofit Haven of Light was formed in 2013. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, ma'am. And your your haven of light is really about helping families rebuild spiritually, physically, emotionally, and financially after abuse. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And so those those topics, I just want to touch on them: rebuilding spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially. Well, uh, I, I want to just share personally, having again survived um, uh, domestic violence myself. Those are which all of the ways, so spiritually, emotionally, and financially, that I, w- I was being abused in my previous marriage, spiritually, emotionally, and financially. And, um, and I found, you know, just as we were talking in the last segment about the cross section with the church, I found that the church had a really hard time, um, dealing with, uh, what to do when someone's being spiritually, emotionally, and financially abused. Did you find that as well? Yes, ma'am, definitely. The church is ill-equipped to deal with domestic violence. They go through seminary, pastors go through seminary, they're really not touching on that issue very much at all. I would love it if we could get into those schools and just hold a class Mm -hmm. on how to deal with domestic violence because it's not a marriage issue. It's an individual issue. But I had that issue as well when I was married because we actually had a domestic violence support group in my previous church where I was going before the shooting. And when I explained to the leader of the church um, about what was going on, I asked her, I said, am I being abused? 
Now, a lot of times women don't even know that they're being abused. They just know that it doesn't feel right what's going on, especially if you grew up in a home where abuse was present. Where you were being abused, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, but I, the woman told me, she said, no, you're not being abused. Several of the women that were there told me that I wasn't, that maybe I needed to submit to him more, be a better wife, because he was sick also at the time. And um, they thought perhaps if I were nicer, that um, he wouldn't behave in the way that he was behaving. So by quote-unquote experts, I was told you're not being abused. Wow. Yeah. And And so so you, 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 that sort of, uh, at first you accepted it, it sounds like. You were like, oh, I'm not being abused. I need to submit more. And then, but then after the, the incident, you were resentful, I would imagine. Uh, definitely. Uh, well, after the incident with my son, I was very much so. Um, by the time the shooting came around, I was forgiving of, of many things because mm-hmm. I was just so thankful to be alive. Yes. But um, and I, if anything, it confirmed to me that if there's something inside you that just doesn't feel right, it just whatever's going on, something is telling you, no, this isn't right. You need to be confident enough to hear your voice and hear the voice of God through you even and not rely so much on what other people think, uh, you know, about what's going on. Yeah. I remember what caused me, what happened to me that released me from the abuse was that I had gotten three phone calls in one week. One person and two of the people did had no clue what was going on in my house. And one person called who was a pastor at the church and said, he pulled me aside. He didn't call me. He pulled me aside and he said, I want you to know that separation is biblical. And he said, if the if the person is um, putting you in harm's way, threatening you, mm-hmm. um, using up all your money to control you, um, uh, verbally abusing you, calling you out your name, degrading you, degrading your children, um, wishing ill upon you and your children, these types of behaviors, you have the right to say, I no longer feel safe here and um, I'm going to separate for a time. And so that was the first I had heard that I could get a, a blessing You know, I could still be blessed and be separated. And so I had made up in my mind that I was going to live a life of a single woman, but, you know, be be married. So at at least I Uh could get that much release. And then the second person called me and she said, I had a dream about you, a horrible dream, and I fear your life is in danger. That was the second person. And then another person called me and said, I had a horrible dream about you and I fear for your life. And those three incidents made me, I literally, I had chills when they called and I literally left the house that week. I found somewhere else to go. I packed up my kids and I left my house, which I owned and I, I moved out of my house for my, for fear for my life. And, um, and so I um I just say that I'm sharing that with you. Um I think I feel like you understand that yes, intimately definitely. and then I also just feel like someone's listening that needs to hear like there's the Lord is speaking to us. Yes. Huh? He's saying yes. things that we need to listen to. 
And the thing about that is they just need to make sure they have a safety plan. If they don't know, if you don't know what a safety plan is, Google it. I need you to do that. Anyone that's listening that you feel like, okay, that's the final confirmation I need, look up what a safety plan is, do everything that is needed in order to go, and then make a quiet exit. Never ever tell him that you're leaving or you don't want to be with him anymore because those are trigger words that escalate whatever level of abuse you're already receiving it will get worse yeah because what does that prompt you're going to talk about it and if the person is well why you know you're wanting to draw them into a discussion once you've made up your mind there's no need for discussion because the person that you've been with is probably pretty good with words So they're either going to convince you to stay or they're going to harm you, like you said. Right. So and I and I will post we actually Love Never Fails has a safety plan that we do with all of our survivors as they're as they are coming into our homes. um, We we do a safety plan with them should they decide they want to return to that life. At least they have a format for um, uh, thinking through. Um, you know, the next steps after they decide to leave. And so I'll I'll post that on our Facebook page as well, along with uh, some more information about your organization. So do you have, do you kind of detail that out in Born of Violence? I Well, I did not have a safety plan, so I do talk about that. Now, one of the things that I love about my book, I know it's my book, so I love everything, but (laughs) the thing that I love the most are the spotlights. At the end of many of the chapters is something called a spotlight. Like at the end of chapter one, it's called spotlight on abuse, sexual abuse, because um, like we said, our stories are very similar. I was um, violated as a child at the age of five. I, every relationship that I was in as a teenager and young adult was very abusive. So I talk about in the spotlight, what that manifests as when you're an adult. I talk about different um, behaviors you may exhibit, different things you may think, um, talking about your relationships going forward. But I also give a scripture that has to do with how you can deal with the feelings that you're going through. But it also talks about very practical things you can do um, on different chapters, talking about getting safety plans, going to counseling, connecting with support groups, things of that nature. So um, those types of things I detail in those spotlights because I was totally clueless in getting into that relationship and exiting that relationship, the correct things that I should have been doing. Yeah, when we come, so we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk to you. One of the things that I used to say just kind of as a joke on myself is that I have a horrible picker. I have my yes. my picker is off. I, I you yes. know, I, I mean, like you said, you're in my entire life. I can can't tell you one guy that I went out with until uh, my current husband. And, and maybe there was one that wasn't quite as bad that I can think of right now. But but for the most part, everyone was either heavily drug addicted, uh, you know, substance abuser, verbally abusive, uh, you know, sexually abusive across the board. And it's really, you know, there's it comes out of this ultimate feeling of worthlessness. But I want to explore that a little bit with you. Like what 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 forms the picker and and how can we change that? We'll be right back. Um, exactly. If you 
if you want to hear um, more from Kenya or from myself or, you know, you want to just get involved in this in this uh, this topic, please give me a call. I'm at 844-249-2698. God bless. We'll be right back. For more information on this program, visit loveneverfailsus.com. That's loveneverfailsus.com. We'll be right back with more right after these messages. Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We are so excited to have you listen in today as we talk about the, the, the discussion around domestic violence, around abuse. And as we know, you know, uh, Love Never Fails is very much focused on human trafficking, but there are underpinnings to human trafficking. We know that 65 to 95% of those that have been trafficked were abused as children, and 88% of those that traffic others were abused as children. And and at the at the uh, you know at the root of it is I think some distorted relationships, distorted um, uh, understandings of what love is and what their own worth is, and those are preyed upon, and it can be, it can become very horrific. You know the stories that I have heard, um, and I have actually dealt with hand you know firsthand. Um, just the the level of abuse that a person who's trafficked is enduring, being raped 21 to 28 times a day um, with objects, beaten, burned, shackled, living in cages, starved. Um, these are the kinds of circumstances that can be at the end of, 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 of their lives before they go on. And, um, and, and, and at the root of that or the beginning of that is oftentimes these incidents of abuse, which teach, uh, people that they're not worth anything. And somewhere in there, I believe this, this topic that we were just touching on in our last segment of having this, this, um, belief about ourselves, which causes us to pick partners that are not safe and are not healthy. I know you explore that quite a bit in your book and you were actually just talking about it on your Facebook live uh, the other day. I was, I was listening in. Tell us a little bit about your point of view on that, Kimia. Well, I believe that when you, you accept less because you believe you're less, you believe that you're not worth it. So you accept that. And I, I find that even translates into other areas of your life. Now, for myself, I grew up in a home where I saw domestic violence being played out. My father was very physically and emotionally abusive, but he didn't think very highly of women, period. So um, the names that I was called as a child um, were not something that your father should be calling your daughter. You know, I wanted to be his princess, and but I was his B-word. You know, yeah. and I would say, Daddy, I don't like that. But he'd say, but you're my B, you're my B. So mm. that's a good thing. You know, mm. so when something like that is planted in you you're as a child, mm-hmm. you know, you can think about those thought processes, add abuse on top of that, add sexual assault on top of that. Then you have someone who doesn't think they're worth very much. So when um, you're offered something, anything, like you said, that looks like love, you take it. Yeah. And in the in the instance of human trafficking, I um I've, I've 
had situations where women were rescued from human trafficking through another organization, but they became um, in, in relationship with me because they started a relationship, you know, with someone that was abusive, mm-hmm. but they felt, well, it's not as bad as what I came from. Right. So I can accept this. So yeah. just trying to change those mindsets when um, your worth or, or lack of worth is so ingrained in you is hard. It yeah. is very hard. And you can't, you almost can't do it without that spiritual base and without counseling and then a good group of people to support you, to help bring you out of that and let you see that you are worthy. I, I, can't, I couldn't agree more. I actually have seen it time and time again where we're getting young ladies, um, young men off the streets, right, from being trafficked. They come in, they start to, um, you know, basic human necessities. One of them is love. And so as they begin mm-hmm. to get healed, they want to get back in relationship. Only the person that they tend to pick is very abusive. They may not be an right. exploiter. Right. But they but they're abusive. They're controlling. They have a lot of the same uh, characteristics of an exploiter, only they just wouldn't ask you to sell. You know, they wouldn't put you up for sale, but they would still uh, see you very much as an object to be controlled. And um, and so, um, you know, what what, you, you hit it right on the head about your faith. Right. Having. Um, a, a greater understanding of your identity, of your value, exactly. of the price. That's, a, that's the core. You're right. The identity, that's the core of it all. Who are you at your foundation? You know, I often tell people, like, I have men call me and say, well, I'm with a woman who was abused before, and it's so hard to date her because her self-esteem is so low, and what am I supposed to do? Well, I say... Uh, Our self-esteem is given to us. Even though the first word is self, it's given. You know, your parents give it to you. Your peers reinforce it, you know, throughout your life. Then the relationship that you're in, it either reinforces or takes it. So as someone takes it from you, you can be the catalyst to help give it back to them, you know, to help them build that foundation again. Yes, yes to be used by the Lord to shape people in the way that he is, he had intended. And wow, what a powerful calling. And you absolutely are doing that. And, and, you know, and so, and then the community piece, right. Which is re uh, revalidating, right. Validating what God has said. That's all it is. It's confirmation. These people are in your life to say, remember, you said, this is your purpose. You know, I have many ladies, women that have told me, oh, well, I, you know, I've been called to start a retail line that will help abuse women. Uh, I've been called to be a worship leader. These are your, these are people's purpose. I have been called to, um, minister to the homeless um and and so that's great and and then then we know that and then we just need people around us to say remember if you get with so and so who says no you're mine you don't ever leave this house you don't you don't yeah. go and serve the homeless how is that lining up with your purpose who god said you are cuz god exactly. said you're called to the homeless and he, now all of a sudden God sent this man who's going to keep you inside and not allow you to be an expression of Christ. It's not lining up. Exactly. You know, and so and so are there some, you know, practical steps that you can suggest to our listening audience about, you know, how do you how do I know 
You say you asked the, the woman asked you asked the woman from church, am I abused? Right. And she said, no, maybe you just need to submit more. Um, and, and, and so if you were that woman now, you're that church lady, what are the things that you would say to someone who's listening that helps them to know that they are, in fact, being abused? Well, I ask, I would ask her, how do you feel? You know, I always put it back on them. How do you feel? Um, in, in the portion of your relationship, what portion of it is good and what portion of it is bad? Because even in a healthy relationship, you're not going to feel, you know, beautiful or <laughs> it's not going to be an amicable thing at all times. But what portion of it is good? And then the moment that they start talking about it and they say, well, most of it is bad. You know, I feel bad most of the time. I start pointing out that cycle that you're in. When you're dating someone that is abusive, when you immediately start dating them, they are picture perfect. You're in a honeymoon stage, right? Mm -hmm. And you get to a point where you start to feel like you're walking on eggshells. So I'll say, do you ever feel like you're walking on eggshells? Like something you may say or do at any moment is going to send him off? Okay, and then from that point, um, after he can't take it anymore, then he explodes. Yeah. And then when he explodes on you, um, he immediately feels sorry for what he's done. And then he turns around and he starts behaving again. And you're back in this honeymoon. And then you start to think, well, this is the man I fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And I say, are you feeling like that? And almost always they'll say yes. You know, some abuse is obvious. The hitting, punching, kicking, things like that. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll ask questions about, well, how does he treat you in front of your family and friends? Are you ever ridiculed? Things like that. I just ask a lot of questions because if you outright tell a person, yeah, you're being abused, a lot of times they don't receive that. They almost have to come to that conclusion on their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the one thing that I realized is that I kept trying to fix it and figure it out. And at some yes. point I had to... Um, ask myself, how is your life worth figuring it out? You might figure out what's at the root cause because I'm an analytical person. Like, why would somebody do this? Why yes. He said he loves me. He must be so hurt from this thing and that thing that's in his past. And I feel so bad for him. And you go through those stages where you're trying to fix him and you're trying to mother him and you're trying to mother her or fix her if she's the abuser. And then you just realize... What price is it going to cost me to figure out the answer to that question? We're going to come right back. We're going to talk about events that are going on in the community and ways that you can connect with Kimya. Thank you for listening to Love Never Fails Radio. To join in the fight for love, visit loveneverfailsus.com. Don't go away. Love Never Fails Radio will return right after these messages from our sponsors. Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We just want to invite you to come alongside and support this ministry. Call us at 844-249-2698. We are a listener-supported ministry, and we would love for you to uh, donate to us at loveneverfailsus.com forward slash donate. We have some events going on in the community. Kimya, you were going to mention about the National Week. 
Yes, this week is National Crime Victims Week, and Saturday is the last day. But I'm sure that there are events going on around in the city, even um, towards the, the evening hour. But the best thing you could possibly do is post on your um, Facebook or your other social media. Just say, I support equal um, rights for crime victims because um, we're right now in the state of Georgia, we're trying to pass Marcy's Law. And Marcy's Law, we got from California, so thank you for sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. Marcy's Law hopes to bring um, constitutional rights to crime victims. The accused already have constitutional rights, so we just want equal rights as well. So you can post that on your Facebook page. And if people want to purchase your book, they can go to where? You can go to KenyaMotley.com or you can buy it at Amazon. If you want me to sign it, personalize it, you can get it at KenyaMotley.com. But if you want it quickly, because, um, you know, Amazon offers, offers us that free shipping, go to Amazon.com and purchase it there as well. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, we also have some other events going on in the community. On the 21st of April, we have our street outreach. That's at 7 p.m. We'll be meeting at Faith Fellowship Church, 577 Manor Boulevard in San Leandro, and then going out. So please do sign up on our website, which is loveneverfailsus.com, and go to the events page. Also, on the 27th of April, we have an annual youth open mic called Stop the Pimp. Um, it is at Benny Ono's in 1427 Broadway in Oakland. Again, information on the event page on our website. On the 28th of April, we have an event called a G for G Day, Girls for Girls, in San Francisco Bay Area. I will be talking there about STEM with about uh, 50 uh, or so young ladies. So uh, that's from 10 to 4 p.m. if you want to come out uh, and also on the events page. And then lastly, on May the 3rd, I'll be at the West Coast Anti-Money Laundering Forum speaking there about human trafficking. I uh, want to invite you out to join us. Uh, there's some other events there in May as well. Um, you can get those on our events page. But most of all, I just want to make sure if you haven't heard it from us before, I want to make sure that you know that you are loved. Thanks for joining us this week on Love Never Fails Radio. We trust that you've been inspired by these stories of hope and love and that you'll accept our challenge to get involved by contacting us at loveneverfailsus.com, by liking and sharing our Facebook page, Facebook slash Love Never Fails Radio, or by making a contribution directly to Love Never Fails. This program is the broadcast outreach of Love Never Fails, which is a donor-supported nonprofit ministry that Vanessa founded as a way of directly impacting the lives of young people who are trapped in or at risk of becoming involved in human trafficking. This broadcast needs your involvement and support. To find out more, simply go to loveneverfailsus.com and click on the radio show link. Today's program was brought to you in part by Case Industries, as well as supporters from Faith Fellowship, New Hope Christian Fellowship, and the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. On behalf of Vanessa and the whole team at Love Never Fails, thank you for listening, and thank you even more for committing to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst. Give up a chance, give up your
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.